Give the kid a microphone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We get to enter. We get to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Lord, we come with our thanksgiving today, giving you thanks for every good thing in our lives. We enter his courts with praise. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you, we praise you, we bless you, we glorify you. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. But I love our God because we're not confined to his gates or his courts. But we're invited and we have access into the most holy place. In the holy of holies. We're not relegated, we're not confined to the outer courts. But we have access to the most holy of holies. And we don't get there by thanksgiving. And we don't get there by praise. We only get there by the precious blood of Jesus. We get into that holy place. We come confidently before the throne of grace. We enter the most holy of holy by the sprinkling of the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Only by His blood. Only was His blood powerful enough. Only was His blood sacred enough. Only was His blood victorious enough to open that door into the presence of the most holy God. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus and for that access, that unbelievable access we have into the most holy place to stand before you, to receive grace for what's to come and mercy for what's been. We thank you that that blood covers each person here, each family represented here. That your grace and your mercy cover every trial, every tribulation, every heartbreak, every situation. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We have the victory in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. <laughs> hallelujah. Who was that saying hallelujah? Which? Who? Zach? Oh, Zeki. <laughs> well done, Zeki. Zeki. Zeki, you want to say hallelujah? Where are you? Here, Zeki. Stage fright, that's all right. 
Awesome. Hey, why don't you stay on your feet and uh, just let's take a moment, find someone you haven't met, tell them your name and uh, tell them your name and nice to meet you. that'll do, just tell them your name. Said someone you haven't met. I've met you before. I've met you before. Hey! Oh, I'm on. Awesome. Well, a very warm welcome to everyone and anyone who might be visiting for the first or you're new here, very warm welcome to you. And uh, yeah, oh, Pastor Tony, you just keep standing because right. uh, I don't have much more to say. So let's, let's welcome Pastor Tony. Hallelujah. How are you all? Can you hear me okay? Am I on? Praise God. Awesome, this Sunday afternoon, what better way to spend it by wearing red? I mean, worshipping the Lord. Everyone, uh, Joe's our fire hydrant, he's the, he's the fire warden, if you have a fire, go straight to him. <laughs> For a bloke who doesn't want to stand out, please. <laughs> yeah. but the lamb had to be without spot and blemish, cuz. <laughs> He's a good friend of mine, please. We love each other in this church, I mean. <laughs> if I stare at you, I'm going to pick on you, all right? It's an awesome time to be with you. Um, just an update. Um, Pastor Celia from Brazil is coming, and we will confirm what we're actually going to do with the conference. We're just waiting for, obviously, working out the dates of the conference. He'll be here on the 1st of May. So we're looking at the conference being the weekend of the... Uh, the eighth, yeah. So they'll be here for a week. They'll get here on the first. So we'll let you all know. So uh, we'll, we'll give you an hour. Uh, Pastor Silly obviously is connected to us. Um, he's obviously been here a few times. We've been there a few times, and God's connected us in covenant with each other. And uh, what God's doing in Brazil is amazing. And so they're going to be out ministering to us, edifying us. Amen. Yeah, that's what how the body of Christ works together. And um, obviously, we'll you know support him here. And there's a lot, there'll be a lot going on over the next over those three week periods. So. So they're coming after Easter, amen. So be prayerful about that. Bring, um, bring, yeah, come and see him. If you've never, if you've never met him or seen him before, um, obviously God's done miracles in his ministry in over 27, 28 years, maybe 30 years, I think it was. We went there, 30 year anniversary. So in the, in the outskirts of Brazil, on the river, on the jungle, uh, God's moved mightily there. Many people have come to Christ and and so we had the honor to, to minister over there, and, and he's coming to, to bless us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So we honor, we honor men and women of God that lay down their life for the gospel's sake. And it's not an easy road. I've been there. I saw what they've done. And it's, it, may, it challenges us to go that another level with the, with the Lord. Amen? Who here wants to hear the word of the Lord and be edified? Amen? Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to go to two scriptures, then we're going to sit down and get through this. So... Obviously, this is a very common uh, scripture. Draw near to God and he will 
beautiful. It's not even up there in New Zealand. Praise God. We can go and have dinner now. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Who does the drawing first? We do. But there's a scripture that says in John chapter 6 verse 44, and I want to explain these two scriptures and then we'll get into it. Amen. Because tonight, after tonight, I want you to understand that how much God loves you and how much He wants to have a relationship with you. And unfortunately, religion, perception, tradition, worldviews always shape what you believe about God and what He believes about you. So we've started the year and we're talking about discipleship. We've been talking about the authority of Scripture and about the gospel. And the gospel does not change and the, the, the scripture does not change. Society will change. The way we do things will change, but the truth of God's word never changes. And contrary to popular teaching out there, the gospel cannot be massaged to fit our worldview. We fit into the gospel's worldview. We come out from this world into the kingdom of God. So we've spoken about that over the last couple of weeks. The scripture we want to go to is John chapter 6, verse 44. And it says, No one can come to me, Jesus speaking here, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There was a debate I was listening to between two people about who's saved, who's not saved. And one of the things was, if the Father draws you to him, the only way you can come to God unless God draws you to him. And the debate was, well, if God draws you to him, you're saved. But the question is, Jesus drew a lot of people to him when he was on earth, but many rejected him. See, God brings the drawing, the, God, the preaching of the word. The gospel says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If, unless the gospel is preached, you won't know who to believe on. But Paul says, how will they know who to call on unless someone tells them? Meaning the preached word. And how are we going to hear call on the name if no one sends them? And how are we going to send someone if we don't help someone to go and send it? In other words, what he was saying in this, in this scripture, he's talking about non-believers here that God. See, he chose us from the beginning. But as he chose, chose us to come to him, he lured us to him. The word therefore draws you is to woo you. Just like a man would moor a woman to try and marry her and get to know her and that. See, the gospel is a love affair between God the Father sending his son to marry his bride, the church. And we have a perception sometimes it's God, the angry judge, went racking to whack us with a stick every time we do something wrong. Now God is just, amen? God is just because if he, if he allows sin to reign and not go unpunished, then he's an unjust judge or he's unrighteous. But no one can claim that God is unrighteous, amen? And we shared this before is that how can God be just punishing sin and be merciful? And I've shared this before, is that how can God be all merciful and yet be just? Because if I sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all fallen short of the mark. The word sin means to miss the mark. In archery, you ever watched archery? I can't see many archers here except G.A. Yeah? He doesn't go targets, he goes pigs, you know. But if you do archery and you, the arrow misses the mark, they call it a sin in, in that sport. 
So sin is just missing the mark. We fall short of the mark of God. And you might say, well, no one can be like God. True. But how can God be just and, and merciful at the same time? Because if I go to court and someone does something to a family member of mine, and we plead for justice and he gives, throws the book at that person, we would say the, 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 judge, the judge is honest and just and righteous. But the family that, they, that came to court that got thrown in prison would say, but he's not merciful. Merciful, that judge, but we would call him unjust. We would call him corrupt. We would call him, we didn't get justice. So how do we define the two? On the cross, Jesus took the mercy of God and the justice of God, and he stood in the place of you and me, that what we broke the law of God, we sinned. Jesus became sin who knew no sin. And God's justice and mercy was satisfied at the cross. That's how God's mercy and God's justice can come into one. He took upon him the sin that, that who knew no sin. So now we know the attributes of the Father. Can we go to 1 John chapter 4? And then love has been perfected among us in this way that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because he, because he, speaking of Jesus, is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but, everyone say this, perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves torment. But we who fear has not been made perfect in love. What he's saying here, if I'm walking... In fear. Now, he's not talking about someone breaking into your house and you got scared. He's not talking about, he's talking about here in this context, if you read it in context, he's talking about our love, God's love for us is being perfected and that we have no reason to fear because the perfect love of God casts out all fear. See, I can come now boldly to the throne of grace. See, in the Old Testament, you could not go into the Holy of Holies. A priest had to go on your behalf. God, God tells Moses to build the tabernacle and the priest would minister on behalf of the people. We know that, that there's high priest in the Old Testament would take the lamb in the day of uh, the Passover feast and go behind the, the altar to offer the sacrifice for the sins of Israel and the, his sin. And he could only do it. No one else could go there. But our Bible says now because of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly. Boldly means I can come with confidence and assurance that I can go to the throne of God and sit with my heavenly Father to obtain mercy in a time of need. How can I do that? Because I'm good? No, because of the blood of Jesus. And here it says, love has been perfected in us. So how do we draw near to God? Here it says, he draws you unto him. He's speaking that the day you came to know Christ, God sent his word God sent his spirit. God, uh, you had a dream, a vision. You heard the gospel. You, re you, you responded to the gospel. You could have heard a testimony. You could have been sick and got healed. You could have heard whatever way. Everyone's got a story, amen? And you responded to the gospel. But once you come into his family, now it's up to you to be able to go closer to God. People pray, Lord, create in me a desire to know you. 
That's like me saying when I met my wife, Lord, I pray that Janet falls in love with me because I'm a good-looking bloke and I'm tall, dark, and handsome. And uh, you don't want to go that way? All right. See? It doesn't work. Married 25 years, go away. But could that work? That's manipulation. Yeah, all the women said, yeah, all the... No. But as I spent time with her and as I courted her and as I bought lunch for her and as I spent money on her and as I said, more I think about it, wow. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> You're not going to build a relationship if I sit in my room and pray. Now, I need to pray. I need, to go, I need to God to create a new heart in me in order to love her. And when he says draw near to God, he will draw near to you. He's saying in James, he's talking to believers to draw near to him. It's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to me to draw near to God. Now, this is the problem. How do you see God? I wrote down here. Do you fear God? Or do you, are you afraid of God? There's a difference. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of? Rabbis preached on it last couple of weeks. See, there's the fear of the Lord, which we misunderstand, and there's I'm afraid of God. Who can have a relationship with someone? Doesn't matter, a friend, family, father, mother, wife. Who can have a relationship based on being afraid? Is that a relationship? You can't. See, if I'm afraid of God, I'll never come to him. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. See, if I don't understand the love of God for my, my life, and I don't understand how much he loves me and what he did at the cross, I'll never come to God. Because I'll stand from a distance. I can get religious. I can try and be better. I can say all the right scriptures. I can get someone to pray for me, and they're all good things, but ultimately my relation with God is based on a lack of intimacy because I'm afraid. See, we need to understand that in order to have a relationship, I need to know who the person I'm having a relationship with. See, are you afraid of God or do you fear God? Let me, this is the difference. To be afraid of God is to not know God. You need to know God he desires to have a relationship with you. See, if I don't have that knowledge that God wants to be my friend, I'll never have a relationship with him. And I can go to church all my life. I can pay tithes. I can feed the poor. I can read the whole Bible, but never have an intimate relationship with my father because my perception is that I'm afraid of him. Or maybe he'll really know who I am as if he doesn't already. But see, if I understand how much God loves me, I get to know who he is. See, the fear of God is to have reverence for God. To not treat him as common. To have an awe about, this is a heavenly God who created the heaven and the earth. He's not your three wishes on a lamp with a genie in a bottle. Pray three prayers to get this. I hate that. You know, whoever gets those emails that says, you know, say this prayer 10 times and email it to 15 people, otherwise you'll get hit by a bus. Bro, they do my head in. Has someone send it to me? Please do not, do not ignore and delete this. It shows you if you really love Jesus. So I emailed it back. With all due respect, there is no cursing Christ. 
for I have been bought at a price. And no, no email from you or your cousins is going to curse me because Jesus went to the cross and died for me. And this is nothing but a mystical chain letter and you're putting yourself under a curse. Have a nice day. I got a response. Sorry. <laughs> now, what I typed and what I said were two different things, all right? Send this to 15 people because God's watching. Anyway, I was going to say something, but I get in trouble every time I say it. See, to fear God... <laughs> Sorry, I just sidetracked. Because everyone here just went and deleted them off their phones, didn't you? Sir? I saw you, I saw you, I saw you. I know, I'm not stupid. See, to fear God is to have a reverence for the Almighty and to know Him as a Father because He reveals Himself in many ways. He's the loving Father. He's the Almighty Creator. He's, we can go through all the names. But once I'm settled that God is my... See, it was very unusual when Jesus... And, he, and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And we've, we've taught on this. He says, pray like this, our Father. He didn't say my Father. He said, our Father. Now, to the Jews in those days, that was a no-no. Because they, they wouldn't even spell his name because they were scared that they might write it wrong and get killed. Jesus is trying to bring the, the characteristics of God, the true God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They kept asking, show us the Father. He says, all this time I'm with you and you don't know because you've seen me. You've seen the Father. So when I got that revelation of Father God, something broke in my heart. Because we do carry a lot of perceptions based on our upbringing, based on our worldview, based on where we came from, based on our traditions. We got all these things and we're like a sponge and we, and we gravitate to all these thoughts and patterns and what we perceive who God is. And then when we understand who we really is, revealed by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, you understand who truly who God really is in your life. And then there's perfect love that casts out fear. I can come to him with no matter what. I can come to him with the most filth that I just did or what, I come to him bare in front of him, naked before the Father to receive mercy when I need it. I need his mercy every day. Amen? God wants to have a relationship. So there was a guy in the second century named Macone. Macone. He, he was a teacher of the word. And what he did, he decided to say that the Old Testament was not valid. So he says, so he started to teach there's no more Old Testament. He tried to get rid of all the Old Testament teaching. And any Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament, he got rid of. In other words, the only book he read was Luke and a few letters of Paul. Because he said that the Old Testament was inferior, it was a simple, it was a tribal God. But he got excommunicated. He said, no, that's not true. In order to, for us to know who God is, God gave us the scripture. It's the fullness of the scripture. And on that note, someone said to me recently, but there's so many missing letters in the Bible that should be in there. I said, bro, bro. I said, just read what we got before you start searching for what we don't have. Yeah, but that could be tricking us. I go, bro, I've got enough scripture to show how much Jesus loves me. I've got enough scripture to cast out devils, heal the sick and raise the dead. I don't need anything that's lost. That's enough for me right now. Because that's like in the garden. You can have the whole garden, everything in it, but that tree don't touch it. No, that's the one he doesn't want you to touch because that's the best one. He's given us his word. People say, well, how do you know it's true? Well, 
from my, my perspective, is the gospel, the authority of the gospel. It was written by, let's say, for the, let's say the disciples went around the world, preached the gospel, and everyone died for what they wrote. You don't go to your death for a lie, knowing it's a lie. People die every day for a lie. But if you have made up a story or you have not done, the, you won't die for that. Mankind will give each other up real quick. But you don't go to your death. And if you could do it, would you think that 12 guys, 11 guys, 10 guys made up a story and they all died for the same lie? Think about that for a second. But we have the Holy Spirit who wants to be our teacher. See, God from, from the Garden of Eden to Abraham up until now always wanted to have a relationship with his people. Always wanted to have a relationship with his people. Let's go to um, Exodus. When Moses went to the mountain and got the Ten Commandments, a couple of chapters later, you'll see that God says build a tabernacle. The tabernacle was like a, an altar where God would manifest himself there, his presence there. That's where they did the sacrifices. That's where they brought all the offerings. And it was built in the middle of the tent, in the middle of the camp. Why? The Bible says, why did he make him build a tabernacle? Because he wanted to dwell amongst his people. He wanted to be a part of his people. Let's go to Exodus 25, 8, I think it is. Oh, you beat me. And he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wanted to inhabit his people. But they were, they, they just come out of slavery. And man, after the fall of Adam, had no capacity to house God on the inside. In other words, they had a sin nature. They had a conscience that was seared. But God, in his wisdom, wanted to visit it and wanted to speak to them by, him, by his presence. So in the desert, as we know, God followed them at night with fire and at day with a cloud. And then he gave them water from the rock. His presence was with them. But there was a time there where he spoke because he wanted to deal with his people. And look what the people got scared of his voice. And God says, you know, these people, their hearts are so hard. You know what? I'm going to send an angel before you. Let them follow that angel. And Moses says, no way. I'd rather be in the desert in your presence than in the promised land without your presence. See, we'd rather get the blessings of God without God himself. We want God to bless our families, bless our job, bless, but we want to give him not one minute of our day to go and say, Lord, I love you, I thank you. Just one minute, because one minute becomes two minutes. Two minutes becomes, before you know it, he's got your whole life, and then you'd be really blessed. He said, go in front of me. But Moses said, no way. I'm not going unless you're with us. Exodus 29. Just so I can show you the scripture. I will dwell among the children of Israel and I'll be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. He kept saying, I am the Lord their God. I am the Lord their God. And they didn't want to borrow of it. So Moses had to intercede for them. See, if you go through the whole Old Testament, because the first thing people tell you, the Old Testament's bad, he kills people, we don't serve the Old Testament God. He's the same God from the Old and New Testament. <laughs> but the Old Testament is the foundation and the, the signpost pointing to Jesus. When God said to build the tabernacle, only the priests could go minister on behalf. When they eventually built the temple, um, and the temple was, you had the Holy of Holies, then you had the inner court, he had the outer court, in a nutshell. If you were a foreigner, you weren't Jewish, but you were from, you were a Gentile, they used to call them. 
and you believed in Yahweh, their God. Just like, who remembers Cornelius? He, was a, he believed in Yahweh and he gave arms and everything. And God sent Peter to preach the gospel to him. Well, he was not allowed to go anywhere near the Holy of Holies. All the inner court, he had to be on the outer court. There was a section for them, the foreigners and women. Sorry, girls, you weren't allowed in either. <laughs> and in the inner court were the Pharisees, the priests, and then the Holy of Holies was only for the high priest. So you were far away, even though you wanted to know God, even though you wanted to believe in God, even though you, you knew you were a sinner, you were able to, yes, worship him from a distance. But look what uh, I think it's in um, Ephesians chapter 2. This blessed me. I've read it a million times, but it blessed me. Okay. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, talking about believers like us, any Jews here? All Gentiles then. We're considered dogs. Outcasts. We're outside God's plan and covenant. What we thought. Here he's saying that, remember you were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised. So if you read in the Bible, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, all they're saying is Jews and non-Jews. Okay, and there was a debate that Paul was preaching to all the Gentiles and they weren't getting circumcised, they weren't keeping the law of Moses and they were upset in Jerusalem and Paul had to tell them, but they're receiving the Holy Spirit just like us. There's no need to put laws on them and they agreed because the God was reforming the church. He wasn't trying to tell Jews to be Gentiles, but he wasn't trying to tell Gentiles to be Jews. Amen? So here he goes, the uncircumcised, what we call circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. So it's not about what you do outside. It's not about the rituals you do. And here he says, next verse, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in this world. In other words, when God made a covenant with the people of Israel, it was for them. It was for them that oh, I'm going to promise into the promised land and I'm going to send you a Messiah one day and he's going to be your king and all the promises of salvation, all the promises of healing, all the promises of, of being restored from sin and restoring your family in the year of Jubilee. You can go into all the covenants. That covenant was made between God and Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Do you know that covenant still stands today? It still stands today. God made a promise. It's still. Now Jesus fulfilled the righteousness of God and the law, but that covenant still stands today. Here he's saying you were without any hope. You were lost. And look what he says next. Beautiful scripture. But now in Christ Jesus, you have once were far off, but been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were outside God's covenant, but we're never outside of God's mind. We're outside the promises of the covenant where he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we're never out of his heart. We're his children, amen? But he had to fulfill it through the Jews because Jesus said salvation comes from the Jews. I'm on somebody. That's upset half the Arabs in this room right now. <laughs> Jesus came to fulfill what we could not fulfill. And then he brought us into the Abraham's covenant and grafted us in to the family of Abraham. And he says, because of the blood, we have been brought near. We have been brought near. Everyone say near. near. Who brought us near? Jesus. Jesus. Because of the blood. 
So every promise that he gave Abraham, we're included in that now. So our father in the faith is Abraham. Because he believed God. The Bible says, listen to this. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Wow, imagine. You want to be a friend of God tonight? Or do you want him to be afar? See, we've been brought near because of the blood of Jesus. We were outside the camp, but he brought us in to the Holy of Holies. You know what he's actually done? He's, he ripped the Holy of Holies apart and the Spirit of God left the Holy of Holies. Guess where he resided? In every man's heart that believes in Jesus. So we're not looking up to find the Father. We're going to look in to find the Father. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But religion, unfortunately, and tradition, unfortunately, has put a veil because he separated that veil. There was a separation. He says, no more Jew and no more Gentile. We're one new man in Christ Jesus. So how do I draw near to God, people? I can go scripture after scripture that he wants to have a relationship with you. See, when people say, oh, I feel a bit dry, we all go through that. Flesh rises. Oh, I feel a little bit lost. We all go through that. Oh, I feel a little bit disheartened. We all go through that. We all go through that. We're natural human beings on this earth. The question is, it's not up to God to get you. It's up to you to go to God. I was going to get the boys to do a graph. And it's like this. Bear with me. You get saved and you have an awesome honeymoon with Jesus. Then a bit of obstacles come and you fall. And he comes and gets you and picks you back up again. And then you get a few, you know, a few disobedience, you know, a bit of rebellious, believing wrong things, you come back down and he comes and gets you. Then you get into financial problems and he falls down and he comes and gets you. And your life is like this. And you'll testify that that's God and it is God. He'll come and save you every time. Everyone say amen. But God's plan for your life isn't to be saved every five minutes. He wants you to get saved and move into the things, the depths of the spirit. But then I have a bit of a plateau. Then I go up, a bit of a plateau. Then I might drop a bit. But he wants us to keep rising up into him. It's not trying to get to another level. God's not a corporate leader in a CEO office. It's not about trying to climb the corporate ladder. It's trying to go deeper into him. Because the deeper I go into him, the closer I get to him, the, mo- the closer I get, I hear his breath. I hear his voice. It's not about climbing the corporate ladder. I want to get higher. Look what I know. Look at the revelation I got. He wants to know you. He wants to reveal himself to you so you can become just like him. Do you believe that or you just, no? Do I stop now and we'll go have lunch? Because unfortunately, we've been taught that there's hierarchy. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom. There's people called to do things that you're not called to do. But there's no favourites in the kingdom of God. But God will call the apostle, call the apostle Peter to do. God's called me to do something he hasn't called you to do. You've, done, you've been called to do something I can't do. So it's not corporate ladder, it's intimacy with the Father. Because if I don't understand what he wants from me, I'll get so sidetracked. And this is not a condemnation to everyone, because man, I've been there. I've got off track. I've had the bad attitude. I've said the wrong things. I've done the wrong things. It's about, you know what? I can always shake the dust off because of the blood and keep moving forward towards him. Because he wants us to draw near to him. Because he loves us. Revelation 3.20. To show you how much he wants you. This 
Revelations 3.20 talks about, I'll read it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Isn't it interesting? He says, what's he going to come to do? If you answer the door, if Jesus knocks on your door, he's speaking about your heart here, but let's say he knocked on the door. He comes in to do what? Who knows what dine means? But what do you do when you have dinner? What does dinner represent? What does food represent? Fellowship. He's coming in not to rebuke you, not to correct you, not to smack you, not to headbutt you, not to take your money, not to take your dog, not to drive your car. He's coming to have dinner with you. I with him and him. In other words, I'm going to have fellowship with him. I'm going to have communion with him. This is the God of the Bible that wants to have a hang out with you. But we don't answer the door. Because we've got dishes on the sink. He didn't call. He didn't give us notice. He come unannounced. My lounge room's dirty. My undies are still on the, on the towel rack at the backyard. <laughs> or maybe there's some people over there shouldn't be over. Or maybe I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. We all answer the door. You know, listen to me listen very, very closely. Doesn't matter what slimy pit you're in or how good you think you got it, only knocks answer. Do not reject the love of Jesus, amen? Because he's knocking on your heart every five minutes. And he doesn't have to, I don't, I'm over people getting saved every week. Like, what I mean by saved every week? Like, oh, I've got to rescue them every week. Every, come on, man, what about the freedom you have in Christ? We, do we go through problems? Yeah. Someone asked me, why do you do what you do? So because I'm in, so in love with Jesus, I'll do whatever he wants me to do. He said, aren't you worried about your life? And, your, you know, like, you know, you got your family and the devil comes after you. And I go, no. What do you mean? What, what, if, what, if, what if, like, you lose everything? Because I've lost everything for the devil, so I might as well lose it all for Jesus. But what if he does this? Thing? I don't care, bro. Jesus, if I die today, I'll go with him. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not being smart. I, uh, ask. Ask. I'm being truthful to you. I do not care. Why? And please don't misunderstand me. I don't care. And there's oh, flipping. No, no, no. I've got a responsibility to raise a family and, and to lead a church and run a business. That's all God's given me a response. But I do it because I love him, not because I get any benefit out of it. Do I get benefits? Absolutely, because Jesus is my best friend. That's my benefit. But I do that because I love him. And every time I get close to him, and every time I think I know him, wow, I'll get closer. I thought I knew him. Be married for 25 years. You get to know each other. I thought I knew my wife. And she knew me. <laughs> after one year, wow, after two years, oh, I didn't know that about you. You're a bit close again. You get, you, get to, you get to know more about each other. And you've got kids, but you still get to learn about each other. Why? Because you're having that intimate, the things change. Then, you, then, then testing times come and problems come and you see how close your relationship really is then. And, and then problems hit your children. You see how close you are. And then, but when God is in the middle of you and you're working things out, guess what? You are strong in the Lord. You're anchored in his love and he's in the middle of us every time. Amen. I'm still getting to know my wife and she's still getting to know me because we change. But God's never changing. But to say, I know God, that's it. I've got it worked out. You're in trouble, man. 
Dave Robinson used to say this. When people come up to him, he goes, Lord, I'll never be deceived. He goes, you already are. For the mere fact you don't think you can be deceived, you're deceived. I'll never fall. <laughs> Lord, even if that all of them leave you, I'll never leave you. I'll get a jail for you. He goes, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But look what he says. He goes, if, even if them leave you, I won't leave you. <laughs> God wants us to draw near to him. It's simple as, Father, I want to have a relationship with you. A couple of practical things. First of all, open your Bible. Your Bible does not protect you on the shelf of your cupboard or because you downloaded 15 versions on your app or you read it at school when you were 15. And I'm not trying to be cruel here, but you need to open the Word of God and you need to say, Lord, speak to me. Oh, I, can't, I don't know where to start. Start anywhere, but just start. I learned many years ago to uh, thank God for people that spoke into my life, thank God for preachers that preached to me, but nothing can substitute you in alone time with Jesus. You know, I find out over the years now people don't want to spend time with God because they hate spending time with themselves. And God says, if, let me put it to you this way. The woman, with the, the woman that got caught in the act of adultery. We could argue a million things here. We could say they trapped her, they set her up, where's the guy, why did they touch her, she was naked under the law, that's unclean. We could say a hundred things that they did that was a setup. We all know it was a setup. Because you could say, where's the guy, where's the witnesses, how did you, how'd you catch her in the act, where were you? We could say all these things. But when Jesus looked at her and says, you know, we, we know the story, you know, he, from the, the Bible says that if he who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the stone and they walked away. And he looked, said to the woman, who condemns you? He says, nobody. No one here left to condemn you? Neither I, I don't condemn you. But look what he says to her. But go and sin no more. No matter how they got her, how they set her up, she was guilty. True? He says, but go and sin no more. If that woman under that culture was doing the most abominable thing you could do in that culture, and Jesus looked at her with compassion, how much more me and you that can come to him and sit with him, and he give us that mercy and grace to empower us. Because he's going to be honest with you. He's going to say, I love you, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. Another time he says to another guy, he says, Go and sin no more unless something worse will happen to you. See, God's not covering up sin so you can keep sinning. God's cleansing you from that sin. And as you come to him, guess what he'll do? He'll empower you in the spirit of the Holy Spirit and bring the love of Jesus to you to empower you up until so you can sit at the throne in front of him face to face. Does that mean I click my fingers whenever I talk my want? No, no. There's a reverence in the Father that it's... How I approach God is what I receive from God. When I was young in the Lord, I thought, yeah, Lord, thank you. And God was moving in our ministry. Didn't even have a ministry. We're just praying for people and God was moving. But as I get older, I start, you know, as I get older, I start to, see, we used to have, my wife and I, we had three boys and, and when they were young, we'd sit down and have dinner. And we, we made a decision based, you know, we had some issues and we said, that's it, enough. When we have dinner, phones off, TV off, 
No work, nothing, just us, dinner, dinner. And we start talking to the kids. Then the first week was a chaos, and second week, chaos, and third week, chaos. And you know, remember the, they walk around trying to feed the kids around the house, you know, oh, one more, one more, please, one more, one more, one more here. One more, one more, please, one more. I said, I'll never do that when I get, have kids then. Guess what I'm doing? But I did a bit like... And our pastor saw us one day. And the kids thought they would just put on a performance when he's, when he's there. And bro, what an embarrassment. If you had a taser, I should have tasered them all. How can you kids are so good? Go. So we sat down and had a chat with him. So we had dinner. TV off. I used to do finance in those days. So I used to be out a lot after hours. So I said, no more appointments between whatever it was, 5 to 6, 6.30. Started having dialogue. And the rule was, no one gets off the table unless everyone's finished eating. So slowly, one week, two weeks, three weeks, by the end of the month, dinner was absolute delight. And we would go around the table. How was your day today? Tell us a joke. I told all the jokes, but yeah, tell us a joke. <laughs> but after a while, kids started opening up. Kids started saying things they would never talk. You know when you get in the car, how was your day? Good. But now we're having conversation, we're eating, and, and now everyone's finishing their meals, and there was fellowship around the table, and their behavior changed. All because, and my pastor used to say this to me, if you win your kids on the dinner table, you win them for life. Because around the meal table is where they have relaxed, they can eat, they dialogue. And we did, we've done that for years. And now my kids are adults now. Now, when they were young, they might have been scared of dad, scared of mum to muck around. They were scared to do the right thing. They never did the right thing, but they they'd muck around with kids. But as they get older, I can honestly say my kids do the right thing at home, not because they're scared of me, but because they honour me. They honour their mother. Because we put the boundaries, this is how it is, and God's spirit comes in. Why? God loves an obedient heart. So in the natural, that works. They're not scared of me. These guys can... Yesterday I had a wrestle with one of them. He threw me through the couch and I thought, next time I'll go harder. <laughs> but isn't it honour and respect? So now they, they have a fear of their mum and dad, but not in, they're not scared. They just revere their mum and dad and they honour their mum and dad and they live their life out, out of that honour. That's how we need to revere God. Amen. Not I'm afraid. Isn't it interesting that God would walk in the garden and speak to Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, they got afraid and they hid for themselves and they heard him walking. He brought himself down to their level. He could walk. He could appear anytime he wanted. But he walked, made noise. I'm coming. Hey, where are you? Where's Adam? Where are you, Adam? What have you done? You know what he was saying? Where are you, Adam? As if he didn't know. He looked at Adam and says, that's not the Adam I created. Where's Adam? Where are you, Adam? Where's the real Adam? Because he had sinned and corruption had hit him. Because this woman you gave me. I have to throw that in every week, you know. I, just, I didn't point at you, Janet, I promise. I was just... First thing we've got to do is open our Bibles. The second thing we've got to do is fellowship with one another. Do you fellowship to grow or do you fellowship to gossip? Praise God. Because fellowship, I love fellowship when I first got saved. I had a million questions. Just this week, I had 10 calls from different people reading their Bible. I, I love it, man. And listen, we can't 
we work, we, sometimes we can't get back to you. But you know what? If you've got a question, you're reading the Bible and you've got no one to ask, DM us. Send us a question. We'll get back to you. Because there's nothing more brilliant from me is when you're reading the Bible and you've got a question. What does this mean? I believe what this means. I heard this. And let's have a dialogue over it. Because it shows me that you're hungry for the things of God. But it's a very sad place to be when you're sitting in a group and they're all talking about Scripture and you've got no idea what they're talking about and you've been saved 10 years. That's sad. Because the only way you get to know the Lord, see, the Holy Spirit can come upon you, can give you a miracle, can, can do a manifestation through you. But He only can work through you through the Word that's in you. The Holy Spirit's not going to pluck words out and give them to you every day. He needs to work with what you've put inside yourself. The Holy Spirit landed on Jesus. The Spirit of God landed on the Word that became flesh. He had to land on the Word. He came upon the Old Testament believers. He came through the Old Testament believers. He empowered the Old Testament believers, but could never live in the Old Testament believers. But Jesus comes and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus and stays. And now He's empowered Him and anointed Him to do the work of the Father. But he, where did he land on? The Word. Are you getting that? The Holy Spirit can only work on the Word. Everyone say it. The Word. The Holy Spirit landed on the Word. Jesus is the Word that became flesh. And when the Word comes inside you, then the Holy Spirit comes to you by the Word. And then He can empower you because of His Word. Does that make sense? I'm trying to get it through here. He didn't just come like a dove. Weirdos. Like a dove. He wanted to come to stay to live. But Jesus had to go to the cross and die and be buried in the earth and cry out. The seed was killed so he could be multiplied. And then we get what he gets. We get his nature. We get his spirit. We get his mind. We get his power. We get his authority. But we get his sonship. That our names are written in the inheritance of Father in heaven. And you can walk away from that because you don't know who he is. See, Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And it's not like, I better go to Him. No, He's waiting for you to come to Him. He's longing for you to come to Him. If you understood how much He desires to have fellowship with you, or I don't believe that, Tony. Yeah? Well, let's have a look at the Bible. God's in heaven, doesn't need nothing, doesn't need anybody, He's not required of anything. He's, he's omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere at the same time. He's I don't use big words, I don't know how to say them. Uh, he's everywhere at the same time. He knows all things, all powers given to him. He needs nothing, but he just desired a family. And then that family corrupted and rebelled. So he sent the best he had, Jesus, on this earth to redeem the corrupted family, to bring him back home so he can have a family again. And you say to me, God doesn't want to have a relationship with you? Because that's how we see God, see him from a distance. See, we're still far back. We're, we're still... And don't realize the blood of Jesus has brought us closer. We're washed by the blood. Someone said to me once, Let's just, you know, Easter time, preach on this. I go, if you're not preaching Easter every day, you don't understand the gospel. If you're not preaching Christmas every day, I'm not talking about Christmas and Easter, I'm talking about you're not preaching the cross and the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. That's an everyday occurrence. That's not just two times a year. Paul said, I know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him 
Isn't it interesting that he preached to the pagans and the, the Gentiles, and they had false gods like Zeus and Thor and Apollos and all these Greek myths, and they're all strong gods. This is the god of war. This is the god of this. This is the god of that. Yeah, he comes to preach to them a god that died. How does that work? Oh, our god Zeus. I go, Zeus? Listen, let me tell you something. The god that I serve died so he could redeem you and then he rose from the dead and conquered death in the grave to give you eternal life. I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because he understood something poor. He was dead to this world. He understood the love of God, the perfect love of God. We need to understand that when we open our Bibles, you're not just reading a Bible passage. Don't read in texts. Don't read devotionals. Devotionals are good, but don't just read a devotional. If a devotional scripture impacts you, read the whole chapter. Assimilate the word of God. Sometimes you need to read. Don't read like chapter one to chapter two because God didn't speak in chapters. We put the chapters in. Sometimes when you read what Jesus is saying, it's in red. My Bible has Jesus' words in red, yeah? So from chapter 14, he starts and he's trying to make it's the same thought. And he goes to chapter 17. You need to read the whole lot to get the idea what he's talking about. I learned to read it like that. I learned to read not in text, but in context. And when you read, you think, oh, man, it doesn't matter if your mind wanders. It doesn't matter if you give up. Start again. Why? You're getting the word in you, and the Holy Spirit in you starts to reveal the word. Give the Holy Spirit something to work with. I said this last week, you know, let's, let's stop being sooks and let's start growing up. Let the Holy Spirit work in you. And God will speak to you many different ways. You don't have to be like someone else. You just have to be you. We have brought near because of the blood. Now, if you end up in this, some of these charismatic circles like we grew up with, it's all about pleading the blood. It's all about pronouncing the blood. It's all about this blood. But you have no knowledge of the blood. You can sling the blood, throw the blood, and nothing's going to happen. You need to walk in the authority God has given you as your sonship and walk in the power of the blood. The devil's not scared of your words. He's scared of the word in you. I stand at the door and knock. God's not out to hurt you. He's out to bring you into his family. See, the sad thing is a lot of these scriptures that we read, Revelation 3, 20, James 1, 4, 4 uh, 6, all that, they're all talking to believers. You think he's talking to a non-believer. He's talking to believers. He's saying, when are you going to learn? Come unto me. Don't let your past dictate your future. Don't let your failures today, you might fail today, but you're not a failure. You might sin today, but you're not a sinner. What do you mean I'm not a sinner? I either am a sinner, not redeemed, or I am being redeemed in the, what's the Bible says? We come from the darkness into light. If I see myself as a sinner, I'm going to sin. Do I fall? Absolutely. But I can't see myself. I have to see myself redeemed in the image of Christ. If I start seeing myself that way, I'll start living that way. Otherwise, I justify my sin. And God wants to have a relationship with you. See, the ultimate goal for everyone here should be this. To know God and to enjoy Him. <laughs> That's a funny concept. To know God and to enjoy God. What I mean by that is to know God and to have awesome fellowship with God. Because this is the, what Jesus came to do. Come to reveal the Father. 
Jesus said, I come that you might have life and in abundance. Because he's saying that, what he's saying is everything I have is yours. Because I go to the Father. You know what he's saying? He's saying all the inheritance that's mine, I'm giving it to you. We look at power and casting out devils and that's all good. He's saying my sonship, my inheritance as the older son, I'm going to give it to you. And then what he says, I'll never leave you and nor forsake you. I want to finish off with this scripture. I think I didn't even give it to the guys. Sorry, guys. I'll read it from here. I'm pretending I know what I'm doing. This is Joshua walking with, walking with Moses in the desert. Now, look at this. Hear my heart. Joshua, you, can, you guys can play if you want. Softly. Joshua's walking with Moses as his right-hand man. Moses takes all the punches. Moses uh, gets taken out of the palace, the backside of the desert for 40 years. Then God speaks to him. He says, Let, go and tell Pharaoh, I want my people released. And he goes. And now he's into this struggle. And then Moses gets the people out after plague, after plague, after plague. Then he says, Moses, tell them to kill a lamb and put the, the blood on the doorpost. And then cook the lamb and eat it and don't leave nothing. And then when the angel of death comes, you'll be safe and then you'll leave Egypt. They left Egypt. Then they're at the sea and now they're coming after him. He lifts up his staff, opens the sea. Moses goes through all that, goes into the desert. They're whinging and whining and, and he's complaining and he's taken all the punches. And then he goes and gets the Ten Commandments and then he comes back. And then God says, well, because you smashed the commandments, you're not entering the promised land. And then he says to him, Joshua will lead him in. Moses took all the punches. He pioneered the ship. He, 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 he went forward. He led them. He took all. And guess what? 40 years in the desert. And then he says, you can't lead them in. And then he says to Joshua, God says to Joshua, and tell him this. You're not going to go in. But look what it says. Moses says to Joshua, it's in Deuteronomy 31, 6, 8. It says, the Lord your God goes with you. He will lead Never leave you and never forsake you. Where's that in the New Testament? Hebrews 13.5. It's the same word. God will never leave you nor forsake you. But look who told it to him. Moses who did everything and now he's not going to enter. He could have had a bitter heart. He could have got upset. He, could have, he went through everything. You know what he says? Go and tell him this. And what Moses does? He goes and tells him, listen, I know this God that you're about to walk with now. He, he's, he's been faithful to me. And I've had to put up with all these people. And I'm ready to go now. And I'm not going to make it in. But he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Go and serve him. And Jesus says, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what you're going through. That's a promise from the Father. How good is that? And in three days, Joshua leads them into the promised land. Forty years, three days. Isn't it interesting that Joshua's name in Hebrew means what? Yeshua or Yahshua, which means saviour. Jesus' name is Yeshua. Very, it comes from the same word and means saviour. What did he do, Jesus, in three days? Went to the grave and set us free and walked us into the promised land, heaven. Joshua, straight through the Jordan River, into the promised three days. The type and shadow of Jesus setting us free. Hallelujah. See, someone's gone before us. 
See, we're here enjoying the benefits of the kingdom now. We live in Australia where we're pretty free compared to other countries. But we could never forget who's run before us, who's paid the price before him. And you know what? We honor, let's forget everyone else. Let's have a look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, James, Jude, Paul. Who else? Peter. They've gone before us and died for what they have seen and what they have heard, and they wrote it down for us, and we don't read it. Put them aside, just Jesus. Read Jesus' words. Why? Because someone's gone before us. If I want to know him and the power of his might, I need to know his word. Read the word. Stay in fellowship and be obedient. And be quick to forgive and be quick to confess your sin. Because those who sin, if they confess their sins, he's faithful and just to forgive all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we walk in the light, as he's in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. That's something you got to do. He saved us. We have to walk in that salvation. Amen? No man's going to do it. No anointed preacher is going to do it. No evangelist is going to do it. You, you were responsible for your own soul. But if you fill your soul up with everything of the world and decide to read your Bible, guess what? It's not going to happen. Imagine going to a nice meal. Can't wait to go to my mum's for a good meal. Or someone, my wife. I say, mum, we'll get in trouble. <laughs> but all day you eat junk food. And you eat fast food. And you eat everything. And when you get to your mum's, <sighs> can't. But that's the best food you could eat. But what? You filled yourself with garbage. Hey, how about emptying ourselves of the garbage? So we can enjoy the pure milk of the word, the meat of the word, and have fellowship with him because he loves us. Amen? Amen. See, he's asking us to come closer. So if he's asked us to come closer, then we can come closer. True? God wouldn't ask you to do something if it's not possible. Oh, Peter, if it's really you, Lord, let me walk on the water. Come. That's, not, that's impossible, but he came. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he sunk. He said, I want to keep my eyes on Jesus, my best friend. He's the one that loves me. He's the one that will never leave me nor forsake me. And he's the one that's going to take me home one day. Wherever he is, I want to be, amen? Can we stand? We're going to sing this song one more time. Because our Father in heaven is worthy of all praise. And I pray... Next week, I'll, I'll teach on the Holy Spirit leading us into the promises of God. But we've got to understand the Holy Spirit does not go outside the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of Himself. He only speaks where He hears from me and my Father from the throne. <clears throat> you know, when I sit with people sometimes, even believers... I love fellowship. I love, I love, even with people that don't agree, I love talking to them. When the Holy Spirit starts to show up in the meeting, 
in, in, the, in the conversation. You have to, the first 10, 15 minutes, I know where they're at because the mindsets are blocking what God's trying to do. Because I've got a preconceived idea of what I believe God is or what I should be like. And, and when I sit there and maybe nine times out of ten, other than if, if God says stop talking, I share on the love of God, the love of the Father. And the Holy Spirit starts to move. And they go back to doctrine. I go back to the love of the Father. They go back to the Bible. I go back to the love of the Father. They go back to the church history. Go, and we keep going through and through until God penetrates their heart. Every time they start to break down and cry because they don't understand the love of the Father. Now you can go to the scripture and say, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. There's doctrines everywhere. There's dogmas everywhere. There's all this. But ultimately Jesus came to show us the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. That's what he wanted to do. He wasn't trying to start a nice established temple or a nice church or how to let... All these things are superficial. He wanted us to know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the... So why is it so important to know the Father? Why is it so important for us to bow our knee before our Father in heaven? Why? People go, oh, I know the Holy Spirit. Or oh, I know Jesus. But they're not separate. When God showed me the, 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 the characteristics of the Father, why do you think there's such an attack on fathers and families right now? Why do you think it's such an attack? Because men, uh, we put a hand up, men have not done it properly. They've taken, we, God gave us dominion, but we took domination. But that doesn't change who Father God is, because man has dominion. In other words, God wants us to know Him so we can live out of His nature, so we can be better fathers, and, and, and be better mothers, and be better brothers, and be better sisters. And, why? Because if it stems, because if Jesus is only coming out of the Father to show us the Father, then there's something about the Father He wants to reveal to us. Yeah, we can talk about the blood of Jesus redeems us. We're saved. He loves us. He forgives us. First thing someone that's living in sin will throw at you, Jesus is love. Yeah, we know that. Jesus died on the cross for me so I can do what I want. No, that's not what He said. Because if you honestly believe that Jesus died for you and washed your sin and created a new heart in you, you would honour his Father who sent him. He sent, for God so loved the world that he gave his Son. <laughs> and Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So every time you hear God, do you hear God Almighty or do you hear Father? Because when someone says God, I hear Father. When someone says Yahweh, I hear Father. When someone says Adonai, I hear Father. Say Elohim, Father. I, hear, I see my Father in heaven. And I live out of that notion that He loves me. That I belong in the family of God. You can all reject me, but He will never reject me. Come on. Someone said, why would God create Adam if He knew He was going to sin? And why would God create human beings if you know the sin? Okay, well, brother, you married? Yeah. You got kids? Yeah. Why did you bring them to this world? They're going to rebel. Did you ever think in your wife, you know what? You know, we're going to have kids, but maybe we shouldn't because they're going to rebel. They're going to be naughty. They're going to, and they might grow up and just leave us. And let's not have them. No one thinks like that. Everyone has a kid, no matter the consequences. Why? We want a relationship. God's no different. We got that concept from him. 
The difference is we can't redeem our kids, but he can. If I know him, he can redeem us. And he bring the family home. And on the last day, he will raise us up. And that's what he wants from us. So who wants to draw near to God tonight? It's not a laying of hands. I can, I can lay hands. It's not a prayer. I can pray. It's a conscious decision in your heart that I'm going to, to release myself from everything just to know him. You know, I often used to teach these young guys back in the old days, I used to say, whatever you do every week, change it. Just change one thing that you do every week. Break the cycle because habits are hard to break. Break that cycle and come to fellowship. And can I honestly tell you, the ones that did that are flying for the Lord today. And the ones that couldn't break that cycle are still in the same cycle. So it's up to you. I can blame the devil. I can blame the world. I can blame this. I can blame that. But the Bible says you draw near to God. If God says draw near to me, the devil can't stop you. Your emotions can't stop you. It's only if you want to. So it's up to you. And you know what? He's waiting for you. <laughs> I thank God for his mercy every day. I've been saved 20 odd years and no matter if I'm prepared, not prepared, thrown in the deep end, or I'm ready, he always shows up. He always shows up no matter what. Because he loves us. He doesn't show up because I want him to show up. He wants to show up. Humility, surrender, all these are part of it. But I want to encourage you today. Change your mindset on who God is because he's your loving father who wants you to come near to him. Half your problem is you. The other half is you. As we sing this song one more time, we want you to reach out to God. It's up to you to make that commitment to know Him. He's revealed Himself. He's got you into the house. But He wants you to go closer. Don't let any man, any demon, or any emotion stop you to come closer to the Lord because He wants to be known by you. Amen? And it's time to let go of the past and release it all to him. Because he will have his way no matter what. You know what? He'll have his way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Stop trying to tell God what to do or how to do it. Release it all to him and lay down your life before him. You know, all these people say, if you never believe Jesus in your heart, you know, receive Jesus in your heart. No, no, no. Give him your life. He doesn't want your heart. He wants your whole life. Surrender your life to him. Mary, you can go for it.